So I want to ask you guys this morning, what do these phrases have in common? Okay, moderation in all things. Okay, that came from Aristotle, the doctrine of mean. Um, to do thine own self be true. Okay, Hamlet said that. Have you guys ever heard God helps those who help themselves? That's right. Aesop's fables, Hercules, even my grandma Churchill quoted that scripture to me. <laughs> the lion shall lay down with the lamb. Have you guys heard that before? That's Isaiah 65, verse 25. And then the great one, cleanliness is next to godliness, right? I think it was John Wesley who preached a sermon on that. Um, so, but it was already in existence, of course, at that time. And people often think they are found in Scripture as we quote these things, but they're actually not, okay? There are things set out there that we just think are true because, hey, I've been told that my whole life. It sure sounds like the Word of God, but they're not. Actually, I think they've been in our text today that we're going to look at um, as we consider this, it's actually the opposite to be true from the last phrase that I shared with you. Do you guys know that cleanliness is next to godlessness? I believe Jesus is going to lay that down for you and I this morning here in Matthew chapter 15. Um, real quick, I want to jump back to childhood. Do you guys remember as a child... Um, the good chocolates that you were never allowed to have. My grandfather, Grandpa Howard, <clears throat> gave me one of those chocolates. The ones that are for adults only because they're expensive. You're not allowed to have them. And the best part of those special, you guys know the ones that come in the boxes. It's not a wrapper and whoop, there it is. No, you have a beautiful box that holds these chocolates. Actually, I got a picture on display for, you guys know what I'm talking about, the good ones. But the coolest thing about the good ones is what? What's on the inside, right? Isn't that what matters? You know, well, Grandpa gave me one of these chocolates. And he wasn't just breaking off a piece of his Kit Kat bar. I mean, this was the good chocolate. And I'm totally stoked. And I go and I take a big bite. Rum. <laughs> From that time forward, I knew what's on the inside is what matters most. It's crazy. I still can have that taste in my mouth decades later. Anyways, what's on the inside? That's the most important thing, and I think that's what Jesus is wanting to challenge you and I with this morning in this passage of Scripture. So, what is most important? Inside or outside? Mouth or heart? Washing of hands <laughs> or the washing of the heart? So let's take a look at the delegation here. We're going to see some Pharisees and scribes, the religious dudes. They go out of their way to go find Jesus. They're leaving Jerusalem. Look at verse 1. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were in Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So this delegation, I think it's funny because at this point, Jesus is about 100 miles away from Jerusalem. And they're going out of their way to come to him. And it's to call him out. 
Why do we come to Jesus? God, why? Why would you do this? Why are you allowing your church to do that? I think we're wasting our time if we're doing that. There's a whole lot of other things I'd ask, questions I have. So I think Jesus' ministry here is on the front page and has reached all the way down to Jerusalem. When's the last time we actually seen Jesus on the front page? The gospel is the greatest news of all time. Would you guys say amen to that? Absolutely. When is the last time you saw that on the front page of a newspaper? Uh, I thought so. Sad, sad. So anyways, these men, they didn't come to see Jesus okay, as being the Messiah, but instead to find a fly in the ointment. And to this end, they were masters. You see, they could be straining the water to find the smallest of gnats, but somehow they missed the camel. You see, they were majoring on the miners, straining out the gnat, and minoring on the majors, swallowing a camel, and being so busy with small details, they never dealt with the important matters. You guys can jot down Leviticus chapter 11, verse 4, verse 23. This is what they're speaking to. You see, both the gnat and the camel were forbidden. This was not a matter of personal hygiene, but of religious rituals. That's really what was going on. Oh, Jesus, we're so worried about your disciples. If they keep eating without washing their hands, they might get sick. Do you guys know, this is just a total side note, um, uh, in Europe, during the Black, the plague, Black Plague, is that what they called it? Is that the Black Plague? Yeah, okay, sorry. It's, this is just a total side note. But you know they all blame people. Millions and millions were dying. Do you know they blame the Jews for that? Because the Jews weren't dying. You want to know why? They washed their hands. It was simply because of that. Sorry, total side note. But getting back to here, <laughs> in verse 3 here, okay, they were undone because they were eating without washing their hands before their meal, and they were dealing with this prescribed ceremonial washing going on. And then in verse 3, it says, they washed their hands in a special way. And that's uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 3. Actually, it literally means um, up to the fist. Now, the exact meaning of that, does anybody know? I don't know. Read a few commentators. They're pretty close. <laughs> but I get in a picture in my head that, hey, this washing is kind of like a doctor. You guys ever see a doctor wash? They'll go all the way up to the elbow, right? They wash really, really good, get it all, okay? Or if you're a greeter at church, that's what they do after we're, they're done greeting. They go in the bathroom. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyways, <laughs> um, but the exact meaning, we don't know. Some think it's up to the elbow. But we should ask ourselves, in what ways do we love tradition more than God? I think that is the big question that we need to make personal this morning. Maybe when we allow politics to replace our dependence upon God. Is that a pretty good example? Yeah. You want to know why? Because a lot of brothers and sisters are doing it. How about maybe when we place our dependence in our favorite political party leader, thinking that they're going to deliver us and accomplish things here for the kingdom, right? There's a whole movement. Let's train up our kids. Then they can get in the you know, political arena 
and get things changed, and we can usher in the kingdom of God. Let me tell you what, the kingdom of God is going to come when it comes. The Father only knows the time. The Son is waiting to hear the Father say, go. And when he comes, when the king is here, that's when the kingdom's going to arrive. You and I cannot do a single thing to make that happen sooner. Amen? Cool. So maybe when we believe living good moral lives, then we became, it can become the way God wants things to be. Or maybe when we believe worshiping God is about what we do or don't consume rather than having love for God in our hearts. Or maybe when we believe that how much we have accumulated equals how much that we love, or actually God loves us. We got to be careful because these are human-made laws. They're not scriptural. Traditions of the elders, right? What are they talking about? How many of you guys have taken time to read, read the Mishnah? What's a Mishnah? Well, I'm so glad you guys asked. Well, at the end of the second century, it said tradition is the fence around the law. So I think the law needed protecting, or they thought the law needed protecting as a lion, say, in a field needs protecting around him. <laughs> you see, during the late second century, guys, A.D., the oral tradi tradi traditions um, or teachings, they were written down in what is called the Mishnah. Okay, it's a book. It had six different divisions that it speaks to different things. Okay, one, uh, agriculture, festivals, uh, marriage, civil life, crime, ceremonies encompasses all that stuff. And this was added as a commentary, which was called the Gemara. So together, the Mishnah and the Gemara has formed the Talmud. Have you guys have heard of that? All right. And these contain 248 commandments, the thou shalts, and there are 365 prohibitions, which are the shall nots. So the Jewish people take those very seriously. Okay. They don't say that it's up their revelation from God, but hey, we have the Torah, the revelation from God, and we need all this extra stuff to help us keep what God has revealed to us already. So the Jewish Mishnah contains no less than 30 chapters on the cleansing of vessels. What? 30 chapters on cleansing vessels! That's what these guys were stuck on, guys. The hand-washing ritual came from the command for the priests to wash their hands. If you're taking notes, Exodus chapter 13, verse 19, and also in chapter 40, verse 12. It was a reminder to come to God clean. Okay, What does God care about? Does he care if you came in with dirty feet and hands today? Clothes haven't been washed in a while? He don't care. What he does care about is your heart clean. That's what God cares about. So all pious Jews started doing this about 200 years before Christ. So when Jesus came on the scene, the mission was a pretty big deal. All the Jews were practicing all the extras that the Mishnah had laid out. So by Jesus' day, it was so firmly entrenched as a requirement for those who wanted to be clean. They completely lost the original idea of clean hearts. Now let's look at the uh, degra degradation of 
this in verse 3, when he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the command of God because of your tradition? I think that's a great question. In verse 4 he says, for God commanded saying, honor your father and mother. And he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, what profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying these people draw near to me with their mouths... And they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So when lips supersede the heart, that's what he's laying out in the first few verses here. Now Jesus gives an illustration of the point that he just made. You see, Jesus is going to quote the prophet Isaiah in verses 8 and 9, but first he pulls out who? Moses, right? And the Jews, they love Moses, don't they? Right? And I love that Jesus did this. So how can the Pharisees argue with the law and the prophets, right? Can't do it. But, uh, but you say, he says in verse 5, but you say, I think a good illustration for you and I for this is you've seen many moms. Um, we have a couple of you guys carrying around your baby in a little basket right now, right? Um, and there's a blanket often over the top. And why is that? Well, here in Wisconsin, it's because, hey, hey, we know about wind chill. Anything to break that wind, we don't want to get it in there and harming the baby. But in the summertime, I remember when our babies were little, we had a blanket over them all the time because their baby skin, which is like the most wonderful stuff in the world. You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, I love kissing baby cheeks. Anyways, (laughs) you want to protect it from the sun, right? So it's kind of like you have this blanket over the stroller to keep the sun off. But what would happen if you just kept placing a blanket? They're thin little blankets, but if you kept placing another blanket in another blanket in another blanket, it doesn't matter how thin these blankets are, the baby will suffocate. You see, over the years, the Pharisees have overlaid the biblical teachings with vast amounts of spoken teaching blankets and oral tradition blankets. Though admirable, the original aim of protecting the baby became its demise. Corbin. What's Corbin? That's what I wanted to name one of my kids, but Sonny said no. But Mark's gospel speaks to this word Corbin. C-O-R-B-A-N. Okay, and he explains it to the Roman audience to which he was speaking that this Hebrew word means gift to God or devoted to God. That's why I thought it'd be a really cool name for a kid. So if a son wanted to avoid his responsibility of caring for his parents in later life, he simply needed to declare the money Corbin, dedicated to God. So by observing what man allowed, they could avoid what God required. Little PS on this, guys. Listen carefully. Jesus is concerned about us taking care of our parents. Okay? Yeah, your kids are here today, right? <laughs> Amen, brother! Preach it! 
And this was just one example of many, I think, right? Claim for Jesus. Now, if you look in your notes, uh, I want to note with you guys some of the digression that we see here. There's four layers of thin blankets that smother. One that we see is replacing, okay? Heart for lips. We see that in verse 8. Also, neglecting, okay? Verses 3 and 4, God's commandments. Just going to neglect them. Who cares? By the way, they shouldn't be there at our courthouse. We want them out of here. We're just going to neglect those from now on. How about rejecting God's commandments? That's exactly what's going on, verse 6, right? Invalidating, verse 9. In vain you worship me, is what Jesus says. So what a false confidence man's traditions have given to so many sincere people. Sincere, but sincerely wrong. I wept with a Mormon one night. I was on the Oceanside, California. Beautiful beach, sharing Jesus with some. And there was a group of kids putting on a show. A bunch of people coming out to watch the show, got to present the gospel. And a young man came up to me and he began to speak to me. And he was a young Mormon. And I opened the scriptures and I began to explain to him why he was wrong in believing what he was believing. And he began to weep and share with me how I'm missing it. And I began to weep why he was missing it. And I'm there crying with a Mormon. <laughs> And we concluded the conversation, either I'm right or you're right. One of us is wrong, and one of us is going to spend eternity in hell. Let God be true and every man a liar. That's the bottom line. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. What has God said? That's the bottom line. And it's so easy for us guys to put our traditions above what God has declared in his word. Well, I know God says that, but we have always done it this way or our denomination, our church, our cult. <laughs> we believe it this way. We need to be those humble enough to be corrected if we see something that is not lining up. We've always done it that way. It's not what God says, right? So, sorry, I totally got sidetracked. People can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. You guys get that? Yeah. And that's really hard to deal with people sometimes. So as if what you do on the outside will somehow change what is on the inside. Um, yeah, there's so many. It's hard, guys. People are people of faith. If you've traveled at all around this world, you're going to find that most people are people of faith. Even a good atheist is a person of faith, if they're honest. And they will actually tell you that. The good ones. The bad ones are totally ignorant. They don't think for themselves. Um, <clears throat> but the problem is, there's so much religion in the world. Do you guys know that Christianity is the only religion in the world that's not based upon our works? Us doing something on the outside. If I just do this then I might be good enough for God and good enough to get in one day. Christianity is the only, if you guys can think of another religion, I haven't found it yet. 
But biblical Christianity is the only religion that says our salvation, our goodness, is not based upon what we are able to do on the outside, but it's based on what God has done. And what he has done is able to make us clean right on the inside. It's his doing, not our doing. Has anyone been born again of yourself? No, <laughs> okay? None of us. It is God alone. And that's what sets Christianity apart from everything else, every religion, every faith that is out there. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets the Father except through me. And that's what people have a hard time with, is that claim that Christ said that he is it. He's the one. God alone is Savior. So, I'll share this. You guys can look it up online later. Um, ben Shapiro, I don't know if you guys ever check out any of his stuff. I enjoy him. He's been doing these sunny Sunday interviews for over a year. Uh, he interviewed Michael Shermer. Uh, you can go watch the whole thing. Guy's an atheist. They dialogued at length about <coughs> beliefs, faiths, Christianity. Ben is a traditional Jew, is what I will call him. Um, he shared at length why he doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah, how Judaism wouldn't believe in the Messiah coming in such a way that Jesus did. And he neglects the scripture. He talked about the tradition of Judaism. We hold to this. We've always believed this way. But you have been given the oracles of God. And you're willing to ignore what scriptures say to hold to your traditions. Pray for Ben. I've prayed for that guy for years. What if a Ben Shapiro got saved? <gasps> you know, how cool, right? Be praying. But that's just how we are. We're going to hold to no our traditions, because they kind of make sense, right? They make sense. I like that idea. I'm glad we started doing that. We should start doing that all the time or believing that all the time. That works for me. Oh, my head's going a thousand places right now. Let's get back to the scripture here. Verse 7. Now, you guys know Jesus never offends anybody, right? <clears throat> okay, one more story. You guys know the begonias. We're hanging out at, I think it was a Coca downtown Appleton. Me and Sonny, this was before we had kids stuff. We're sharing with the gal right next to us who's having coffee. And I love the tag team because me and Sean are just like, hey, this is the word. This is what Jesus said. You're going to hell because you believe that crap. And my wife and Lena and their love came around this gal. It was a beautiful balance of love and truth. You know, it was, it was wonderful and stuff. And then another Christian who was a table over came over to rebuke me saying, Jesus never offended anybody. And what you're saying is very offensive. And I'm like, what Jesus are you talking about? What Bible are you reading? Hypocrites. Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth. Okay. We can love people right into hell. And that's what the church is doing a really great job of. We're going to love you. We're going to serve you, but we're never going to tell you the truth. Because the good news, there's bad news that makes the good news good news. And the bad news is you are a sinner. You are an enemy of your creator. You are not right with him. There is nothing you can do to get to heaven. What you need to do is look to Jesus Christ. You need to understand the good news. And the good news is God loves you. 
He loves you enough that he made a sacrifice on your behalf. He paid the penalty for your sin that you can have eternal life. It's a gift, but you have to receive it by faith. Pretty simple, good news, but it's not good until you hear the bad. So, hypocrites. You folks have turned religion into play acting is really what Jesus was saying. We are hypocritical when we talk about love, but never love, right? Talk about forgiving, but we are never willing to forgive. Talk about witnessing, but we never witness. You guys know 80% of Christians never share their faith with anyone else? Amen. The one thing God's asked us to do, honestly, why hasn't the rapture happened yet? Because God is long-suffering, desiring none to perish. Why ain't I raptured just the second I believed? Why am I still here? Because he has a great commission for you and I. That's why we're still here, brother and sister. We need to share our faith. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? The newspaper, pastor. It's on the front page every day. <laughs> Verse 8, They honor me with their lips, but not their heart, Jesus says. Well, I'll tell you, why my disciples don't keep your traditions is what he's saying he says look at what isaiah said would happen with tradition when it takes place of truth okay and there's a big difference between tradition and truth big difference i was on a train in spain that rhymes train spain as with a brother from bible college two sisters in the lord we were backpacking through europe we're sitting down. It's really cool. I love the trains there. But they got like booths, okay? We're sitting across from each other. There was a table in the middle. Take our Bibles out. Started having a Bible study. Right across the row sat three nuns and a gal. Hey, this will be fun. You guys want to have a Bible study with us? They all look at each other. Look back as uh, each one of them reached down and they pulled out a rosary and began to pray to Mary. And I asked when they were done, why are you guys doing that? Oh, you guys shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing what you're doing. You shouldn't be studying the Bible. <laughs> wow. And you're praying to Mary to help us from learning about what God says. Wow, was my mind blown. It's my mind blown, guys. I didn't say anything else to him. But that's something we probably encounter a lot here in the Fox Valley. We have a lot of people who like to pray to Mary. A lot of people. God's pretty clear that we're not to pray to the dead. You can read the prophet Isaiah, as Jesus wanted to quote, chapter 8. We don't pray to the dead. That's a command from God. Sorry, but Mary's dead. She's with Jesus in heaven. We don't do that. Jesus told us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, that there's one mediator. One. Was Jesus lying? I don't think he was. I think it'd be good for us to take the commandments he gave in Exodus 20. There's 10 of them. You're not to have any engraved images was one of them. Look at verses 4 and 5 there in chapter 20. I loved backpacking through Europe. You know what I liked seeing the most? were these churches that were around for hundreds, even thousands of years. And you know what these churches had a lot of? 
engraved images. One of them had the Pope, the first one, Peter. And you could kiss his toe. Oh, so gross. I'm a germaphobe. <laughs> but his toe was disappearing. There was so much kissing going on. Wow. Talk about worshiping an engraved image. And that's what they do. I even went into one church, and they had Jesus. You know how Catholics like Jesus on the cross still? I don't know about you guys. He's not on the cross anymore. Um, I walked around the back of the crucifixion that they had there of Jesus, and you knew who was hanging on the back, also crucified? The mother of Jesus, Mary. The Catholic Church has become very Marian over the centuries, but in the last decade, if you guys just look at how they have exalted her, it's ridiculous. The Catholics believe that Mary also can save you now, that Jesus is not the only Savior of the world, but she's the co-redemptress of the world. That is a false gospel, guys, and that's not okay. And people are being taught to pray to Mary. That's not okay. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that he alone is Savior. And I think it would be really good, and I want you to listen here, okay? Don't throw anything at me. <laughs> but Freedom Fellowship, we need to listen to what the mother of Jesus said. Take Mary's words serious, because what did she say? I love the first account, the first miracle Jesus ever said. Mary said, hey, whatever he says, Jesus, do it. I think it would be really good for us, for the Catholic Church, to do what Jesus said. But our tradition, our denomination, our church trumps what God says. Woo-hoo! We now don't want to be you standing before God one day. That sucks, guys. If you want to learn more, read Jeremiah, another prophet. I think it's chapter 44, right? The queen of heaven. They're called out big time. Read Revelation, church of Thyatira. I don't know, that could be talking to the Catholic church today. They sure like to worship this queen of heaven. Big no-no. Idolatry from the pit of hell. Watch out. Anyways, totally sidetracked. Let's get back to the tradition part. Tradition's always outward, right? Okay. And again, this is what Jesus is speaking to. Truth is what? Inward. Tradition has to do with ritual. Truth has to do with reality. Tradition is something you keep Truth is something that keeps you. So what a tragedy that religious people would ignorantly practice their religion and become worse in doing it. They become worse because what are they doing? They're leading others astray. They're getting farther from God. Hey, here's something else I can do. Something else I can do. I like the Mishnah. Because, hey, the 613 laws in the Old Testament, that ain't enough. <laughs> Let's make them harder. Oh, So Jesus doesn't say, well, as long as you're sincere. He loves us enough to tell us the truth, guys. And when you know the truth, it should set you free. This should be freeing. I'm not trying to be mean here. This is truth. And I love you guys enough to take the Word of God serious. We love you enough that we're going to teach you the whole counsel of God. We need to know what he says. We don't want to say, hey, we got together, you know the leaders in the church here, 
and we think it's a good idea if we start doing this because this, it'll make us holier. This will make us better. Guys, our only righteousness is in Christ. He is our righteousness. Anything we do is as filthy rags to the Lord. The prophet Isaiah said that. That's the best we can do. So when it comes down to what we do, well, we do what God says, not what we think is best. Now, the second part of verse 8, he says, their hearts are far from me. So can you think of a way into the kingdom of God or think your way into the kingdom of God? Can you do that? Can you just think your way there? Oh, I have good thoughts. So-and-so just died and now they're an angel. I hate that. Where did that come from? But that's what I think. My thoughts and prayers are with you. Great. Who are you praying to? That's what I always think when people say that. Um, so Christianity, it's a rational faith. It's a reasonable faith. But you don't get into the kingdom head first. You get into the kingdom what? Heart first. And a lot of people know a whole lot, but they miss heaven by 18 inches. Never gets to the heart, guys. So, what traditions will we hand down to our next generation, yet consider them doctrine? I want to be real with you guys for a moment. What are we doing as a local church that isn't biblical, that we think is cool, and we are going to hand it down to our children? I don't want to do it. I don't know if you guys want to do that. I don't want to do that. But we have to ask ourselves that question. We've got to be real. We've got to examine ourselves. What are we doing? So, what shouldn't pa- or we shouldn't pass on non-essentials, but we should pass on Jesus. And if we can simply keep it about Jesus, guys, there's safety in that. But when it starts becoming this other stuff, and it's easy to do. I've seen churches start off very well. Hey, we're just about Jesus here. We're just going to be in the Word. And before you know it, hey, people are coming, and we have more needs to meet. Guys, we're not Savior. (laughs) There is one Savior, and all we can do as a church is point you to Him. Well, let's look at what God has said. We get into the Word. We pray for one another. We're going to build you guys up to do the same. And I think if we keep it simple the Lord adds to the church and more people start coming here, great. We want to see people getting saved. We want to see people getting grounded in the word of God. But let us never move away from passing on Jesus. That's all we're here for, guys. It's him. Well, isn't that what all churches do, pastor? Any of you guys at any time are welcome to visit my inbox on my email. And you will see the type of junk that I get as a pastor from all these para-ministries that are out there to help me lead better, to help the church grow. It's all programs and all junk. I read through this stuff and I'm like, what about Jesus? You say, if I do this, 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 and this, if I'm leading my leaders correctly, then they'll do this, this, and this, and then your church will grow, 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 grow. What about Jesus? Where's Jesus in this? That might be judgmental. I know a lot of churches do those things because of Jesus. But just from the outside looking in, guys, I've seen a lot of churches move away from the gospel to the point, hey, we don't even believe that Jesus really is the only way anymore. 
And because God is a God of love, there's not even a hell. No one really goes. It's not real. Sorry, I'm totally getting sidetracked. Look at verse 8. Their hearts are far from me. <laughs> so we should pass on uh, Jesus, period. Let's look at our next section. The, the defilement. Verse 10. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and he said, Every plant which my father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone, verse 14. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus, verse 16, said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and it's eliminated? But those things which produce or proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. I could see Jesus dropping a mic right here. (laughs) (laughs) So think internal, not external. Think potential before actual. You see the issue, outward religious traditions versus inward living faith. So imagine the disciples requesting of Jesus, Lord, teach us to wash. You see, sin is internal before it's external. That's what these verses 10 to 18 lay out. And in verse 11, guys, William Barclay, which I love reading, he calls this one of the most revolutionary passages in all of the New Testament. Right here. This is important stuff. We need to get it. Sin is potential before it is actual. That's what he's telling us in verses 19 and 20. So here Jesus gives us a catalog of 13 ugly sins. It's kind of like an x-ray here of the human heart. Let's take a look, take a peek. What's going on in there? So all of these sins lurk as potential inside all of us. So Jesus calls for purity, doesn't he? Be pure as I am pure. Holiness. Be holy as I am holy. That's what he's calling us to. So it's on the inside. It's from a changed heart from God that we're able to do these things. In the forests in northern uh, Europe, in Asia, lives a little animal called the ermine. You guys ever seen an ermine? I didn't get a picture of him. I forgot. Anyways, he's known as a snow-white fur, or he has a snow-white fur in the winter, He instinctively protects this white coat, beautiful little animal, okay, against anything that would soil it. Fur hunters, they want it, but they take advantage of these little guys, right, of this usual trait of the ermine, and they don't set a snare to catch him, but instead they'll find his home, which is usually in the cleft of a rock or in the hollow of an old tree somewhere, and they smear uh, the entrance or the interior of it with grime. So the hunters, they set their dogs loose 
to find and to chase the ermine. Uh, the frightened animal flees towards its home. Okay, safety. Okay, but it doesn't enter because of the filth. Oh, this is so gross. I'm not going in there. Got to stay clean on the outside, right? So rather than soil the white coat, he's trapped by the dogs, captured while preserving his purity. For the ermine, purity is more precious than life. And some guys, like the Pharisees of old here, have very defective theology of man and sin, and they think that man is intrinsically good, okay? Um, or inherently good. And because of this, they treat symptoms with legalism rather than dealing with the root problem. So the Bible deals with fruit of sin. Very clear. But better, it deals with the root of sin. Let's get down to the problem, the root of the problem. And it doesn't only deal with the flow of sin, but the very fountain of sin. The heart is deceitful above all things. That's not what I think. It's what God says. Above all things are hearts. Oh, but they're a good person. Oh, precious little child. They're going to be the greatest thing ever. They're a little sin ball. <laughs> they're born in sin. That's what God tells us. The heart's deceitful above all things and desperately, incurably wicked. Who can know it? For the wages of sin is what, guys? Death. God told us that for a reason. <laughs> we need to know it. We need to believe it. And it says the wages of sin. Does it say sins? No. Sin is death. So we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Does that make sense? Good. If you don't believe me, read the Bible. Spurgeon said this, if sin had not been in you, it could not have come out. All the trouble in this world does not put sin in the Christian. It brings it out. Totally agree with him. You might think my wife makes me so angry. Pastor, we need to counsel. I have some things to tell you. She does this and I can't believe it. I get so angry. It's all her fault. Problem is, guys, the anger was already there. Who cares what she did? You got a problem, mister. All she did was a, be a blessing to you because God's using her to bring the sin out so you can see it to deal with it. Amen? All right. So what's the remedy? I'm glad you guys asked. It's not education. It's not a culture change. It's not social reform. It's not a revolution but it's regeneration. You must be born again of the Spirit of God. That is the only hope there is. Only God can do that. The heart can be purified, but it's only by faith. It's the only way our hearts can be purified. So it's your choice. Ezekiel 36, 26. It's on the top of your handout there. It's the memory verse for the week, guys, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. This is Old Testament looking towards the new covenant, what Jesus would come and do and provide for you and I. He will take that heart of stone and he will give you a heart of flesh that is alive, that can be molded, be changed. Okay? 
that is in tune, that is spiritually alive to be in tune with the living God who is spirit. So any gospel which says only what you must do and never announce what Christ has done, it's no gospel at all, guys. No gospel at all. You see, we believe with the heart. We love with the heart. We sing with the heart. We obey with the heart. We give with the heart. And we pray with the heart. That's pretty good, isn't it? Warren Wiersbe said that. Read him. I like him a lot. I just want to close with this thought, guys. We must be in a place where we're constantly reminding ourselves that true religion comes from this new heart. That's where it's going to come from. We can set up a bunch of rules, do list, but if it's not from a changed heart, a new heart, it ain't going to last. It isn't going to be done in truth. It isn't going to be done in love. 